0: Thank you. Grab some turkey, grab some stuffing and relax. There's football on television on Thursday, on Sunday. It is going to hit you right where you need it, right in the kisser, because we are heading into week 13. The playoff picture starting to make sense. Your fantasy lineups are starting to matter so much, but now is the time when Warren Sharp's models are clicking. My mustache, crustacean shirt-wearing
1: friend, how are you? I'm doing lovely. I'm much better than what I was last week, which was uh, real shitty. So I'm healthy and I'm feeling good.
0: I knew you were sick because when you texted me, you told me what time you woke up. And that's really the sign of someone that's sick is, ah, oh, I feel awful. I woke up at insert time and then did insert disgusting action. And that was a great text. So thanks, bro.
1: Yeah, I woke up like three or four different times. So apologize for that. <laughs> um I do have a thank you that I have to give Warren
0: Sharp early and a, you're welcome to any of the listeners out there that listened to what we did pre-season. pre-season we put in five season-long prop bets for futures, just a little future bets. Uh, and a lot of it was based off of Warren's uh, books, his information, and then also the advice of our good friend, Bill Krakenberger. And I can already say, In November, before Thanksgiving, we have money in your pocket. That is because on Monday Night Football, the Baltimore Ravens secured their ninth win of the season, giving us an over of eight wins. That's right. In a few months we turned 160 dollars into 288 dollars right here on the left Coast show Lamar Jackson and the Ravens we don't just pick them to win the division we bet them so thank you Warren I appreciate the early Thanksgiving gift
1: yeah you're welcome uh Ra- Ravens were just that team for me you know they were they were there was a few you know 49ers or another one but Ravens were that team where I thought the public was wrong the market was wrong everybody was undervaluing lamar and uh you know i I could i could thump my chest even louder but we'll leave it at that you guys the 33 percent knows how dead on right uh i was about lamar jackson yeah and you too we both we both uh were very strong on our love for lamar and his incorporation into this offense before the season started
0: I think um, the other thing, too, is, like, I forgot you have a Niners winning the division outright prop bet, which is, that's a, well, that's beautiful. Just beautiful. Um, to watch that game last night, to see Lamar Jackson, as Ingber just called, a ballerina out there. That's how fluid he is. Uh, I'm watching this defense now reaching levels that, you know, in weeks two and three, we had a lot of concern about, and now they're operating at a high level. But to see this team... In the same week that the athletic, um, and I, Kapadia, I believe is the writer's name, and I, I've enjoyed him when he covered the Eagles, diving deep into the analytics program that they have there, the way in which John Harbaugh integrates that, me and Ingber talked about it last week, the same week that Jason Garrett clearly doesn't care about win probability at all and doesn't think about analytics the same, there was something very validating about that Ravens team smoking the wonderkin Sean McVay's offense and making that team look archaic. And I'm curious as a, as as somebody that you really understand what's going on there with the Ravens and their acceptance of this analytics. uh, What are we seeing right now in Baltimore?
1: Well, we're seeing a lot of plus EV decision-making we're seeing buy-in from John Harbaugh. I was in Baltimore this past off season uh, the, the The Yale grad Daniel Stern, I was working with him, met with him wow. uh, th- these These are guys that clearly know what they 're doing they know what they're, uh, how much they 're impacting their ability to win games and that 's the beauty of it was it 's one thing to understand what you need to do it 's another thing for a guy like John Harbaugh to buy in wholeheartedly and just go with what these guys are advising you to do. And obviously he has the final say in what to do. But the cool thing about what you see John Harbaugh doing is he's trusting these guys that he surrounded himself with, whereas some coaches might have the foresight to bring in people, but they still don't really know if they're all the way there and they still want to try to make some of the decisions themselves. And, and he's really allowing those guys to run with it. And the cool other thing that I see from Harbaugh is he's letting these players, like, just kind of embody their spirit and their own attitudes and just take the team where it's going. And John is almost like at times, and this is not the case, but he's at times, like, along for the ride. Sure, These guys drive the ship. And he's just feeding them more energy and positivity and just reinforcing everything that's going on there. It's a really cool atmosphere to see.
0: It's funny. You talk about letting them have their own personality. It almost seems that John Harbaugh has a little bit of Steve Kerr vibes, where when that Warriors team could really coach itself, we get a lot of clips of him on the bench going, you know, Steph, I love you. And then I think about John Harbaugh sitting down there and, with Lamar and just going, I love you. And it's funny because Lamar and Steph are just unpredictable, seemingly undersized. We don't know if they can figure it out. Superstars. Daniel Stern, Warren, I talk to you sometimes and, and what you're able to think about, process and create blows me away. What is your view of Daniel Stern? What, what, is, what is he capable of and what does he bring to that organization?
1: Well, you know, there's a few guys there that are working uh, with him, but he, I saw him on TV last night. He's one of the guys that's up there. Uh, <coughs> God excuse. bless you. He's, he's sitting um, next to Greg Roman in the box, and he's interjecting things during the course of the game. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go into uh, what I do and how I'm consulting with teams. Sure. I'm helping them. And a lot of it, a lot of it is game planning and during the week preparation, self-scouting, opponent scouting, getting them ready to, to, to have the optimal strategy to win this game, whether it's you know from a pace of play perspective all the way to the actual plays that they're going to be running and ways that they're attacking the defense. But then there's the element of now we're in the game. What do we need to adjust? Mm. Should we go for it or should we not? And so having somebody there who's crunching the numbers real time uh, who could provide you with that assistance is invaluable to me. I mean, it's it's another tool in the, you know, craftsman's, uh, you know, what what he needs to bring to the table in order for them to have the optimal chance at winning a game.
0: Warren, what I love, too, is. The one issue that I had with the Sean McVay explosion, and by the way, if anyone's selling stock in Sean McVay, I'll buy it. They'll figure out a way to get this salary thing done. Jared Goff is the issue. The offensive line is the issue. Sean McVay will figure it out because that dude will self-scout. But the thing that kind of upset me a little bit about last year was everybody kept trying to recreate it, but it was really because he is so darn special. That you meet him, you talk to him, and you go, oh, wow, he's on a different level, and we can't recreate that. I really believe that I, we could see a lot more non-traditional head coaches hired because of this Ravens thing, because they're going to look at a special teams coordinator and go, oh, wow, he's open to new things. Maybe other people are down for that. But also, you can do this. You can embrace analytics and win probability and selective play prediction. You can embrace that, and that is replicable, and that could go throughout the the, the uh, season, which I think would be really good. Uh, David asked me this question last week. Uh, it seems like sometimes, Warren, you're always professing throw on first, throw on second every time you know, he mentioned, you know, there's going to be bell curves where you probably don't want to throw every down. So what is there a perfect amount of throwing on early downs uh, and getting away from one of the most frustrating things about understanding analytics, running on first, running on second, and not having success?
1: No, the, the answer that I always have for when anybody in the media or teams ask me, like, what is the optimal pass rate in the NFL? What's the optimal first down pass rate? The answer at this point in time, is just one word, more. It's just the word more. Now, eventually, we'll get to the point where the defense is sufficiently adjust to take away those passes, whereby it's more plus EV to call run plays. And you always want to keep that defense guessing. So if you become overly predictable, if you're a team that's throwing the ball 95% of the time on first down, then that defense can adjust the anticipating pass. You know, the beauty of the first down play call, and sometimes even the second down play call, if you're on schedule, is the defense has no idea what's coming, right? You might be running, you might be passing, whereas the situations that the defense knows what you're going to do are those long down and distances to go. 36 plus. If you decide decide that you're not going to pass the ball, then guess what? The defense is happy. Go ahead, run Mm. the free ball. It doesn't really matter. So I I really think that most teams – Uh, still need to pass the ball more often. The lone exception is if you're a team like the Ravens and you're having a 65% success rate on the ground when you're running on first and 10 and you're gaining five and a half or six yards per carry, then by all means, keep it balanced, keep that defense completely guessing, run more than what the analytics would tell you to do because you need to be crunching these numbers based upon not just the league average, but your own team, your opponent. So on a given game, there might be a higher or lower run rate because of weaknesses of that defense. You always need to be optimizing your game plan based mm. upon what you're facing. Uh, at the same point, so
0: John is very clearly paying attention to these numbers and adjusting accordingly. Why do I get the feeling that the other team that's performing at the highest level right now, the San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan may be isn't paying attention to it. It's just ingrained into his brain to call a game like that. Is that the
1: vibe that you get too? Yes. um, I believe that Kyle has like a little bit of Bill Belichick quality to him where he simply knows how to attack a defense. And a lot of the things that he's choosing to do are second nature to him. And he doesn't, I don't know that we should say he doesn't feel like he needs, but he just doesn't really need the backup support from the analytics to advise him what to do. All right, some of the numbers that I study and the trends around the league that I study have, and we've discussed with the 33 percent, you need to pass more on early downs. You need to uh, play more heavy personnel and pass out of those heavy sets. You need to use a lot of play action. You need to be aggressive early in games to try to build halftime leads. Like all of these various different things. They elements. just do it naturally. He, he just does it naturally. And let's not forget, I mean, they were having success coaching with a lot of different systems and quarterbacks, right? He was adapting to what he had to work with in Atlanta before this stop. He was in, uh, like his family, they were the ones in... Washington, Washington Houston, Cleveland, right. everywhere, he's Atlanta. He's been around. He's had to work with the ingredients. He's like one of those really good chefs who, okay, this is what you got me? Well, this is what I'm going to make this meal based upon what you got here. I think this is going to taste really good. He does that in every single stop that he goes to. Uh, he just has a better control of what his ingredients are in this stop at San Francisco because he's the head coach and so involved in personnel. So he's able to go out there and say, Hey, guess what, John Lynch, I want a really good fullback because I've always wanted to have this great fullback here. I didn't have that in Atlanta. I worked with what I had there here. I want a really good fullback. So they bring in Kyle Juszczyk, you know, so they're going out and adding the types of uh, pieces that he wants in this stop. Uh, The thing is, too, is
0: having worked with Sims and then thus knowing way too much about Kyle, he he also selects guys that are so role multiple, where he loved the Pierre Garçons. So who do they draft in the second round? Debo Samuel. He loves running backs that are in wide receiver bodies, just like that kid they got out of Baylor. I don't remember his name this year. Rookie that we were kind of hoping they play him a little bit more, but Juszczyk could also be a wide receiver. George Kittle could be a running back. A wide, He could be anything. And the fact that he was able to get all of those wide receivers, as a former wide receiver himself, on the same page, they're the best taught, most refined wide receiver routes in the league, and they did it for two years with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. Now that we have Jimmy Garoppolo, it can operate at that next level. I said on Monday the most storied rivalry that could go into the Super Bowl was San Francisco, New England. I said the one that I was rooting, rooting for the most was San Francisco and Baltimore. I talked to Warren briefly last night. He said those aren't even the best matchup possible. What is Warren Sharp's dream Super Bowl matchup in Miami this February?
1: Well, let me put it this way. (laughs) There are some matchups that I would prefer over this um, from an association perspective, although I I think that there's a lot of good options out there on the table. But I think a really fun matchup, if we want to talk about a couple of quarterbacks who are severely uh, battling right now for MVP. I want to see Seattle going up against Baltimore Mm. because I don't look, I'm like you. I want to see what happens when Kyle Shanahan goes up against Lamar Jackson and these two offenses going to task on Sunday. Unfortunately, this game's at one o'clock. This should be a, I'm game Sunday night, Monday night, what what have you. But I don't really want to see the rematch. I would prefer not to see the defensive adjustments that each team makes. You
0: like it when the Super Bowl is two teams that did not face each other in the regular season because then usually in the Super Bowl, it's a lesser scoring game.
1: Um, No. There, there have been adjustments made. There have been adjustments made, exactly. I want to see how these teams can take the two weeks and try to figure out what their game is. Now, plan. Baltimore has played Seattle in the regular season, though. Baltimore has played Seattle, but this was a situation where Seattle did not have their full complement of current wide receivers right now. It was rainy. We know Russell Wilson does not perform as well in the rain. Baltimore was in the road in a hostile environment. And so from that perspective, you're right. They, they have met once before, but... That's the matchup where I want to see dry conditions. I mean, we could get rain in Miami, yeah, but I sure. don't. But I want to see perfect suited conditions for these two teams to go at it. And, and let's watch Russ Cook against Lamar because we've got two diametrically opposed, philosophically different coaching staffs here. One in Baltimore is aggressive, go for it on fourth down anything to win the game. The other is Pete Carroll in Seattle, where we're going to kick the field goal. We're going to trust what we've always done. We're not going to be over-the-top aggressive. And, like, I want to see if Pete gets forced to come out of his shell a little bit, what that offense would look like if they end up letting Russ cook more often and go for it on more fourth down. So that's really what I prefer to see uh, more so than, you know, watching these two guys go back the, at him.
0: The idea of every possession – that either Russ or Lamar is touching the ball is very exciting. The notion that we'd have two weeks to break it down and if it does come down to those two at the MVP, which is announced the night before the Super Bowl, that would be incredible. Uh, The fact that it could be those two Uh, MVP candidates. The award goes on Saturday and then they're fighting for the real championship on Sunday. Russ wins the award. Lamar goes, I got the trophy I really cared about or vice versa. I didn't even think about that, but they are the two, in my opinion, uh, just Mahomes has been a little bit limpy. Um, I just think right now that, that Russ and Lamar are operating at a level above everybody else. And when you said that, I went, yeah, that probably would be awesome. That would be great. Um, To all of the 33% that said, hey, record with Warren early so we could talk about the games. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being my producer. I appreciate it. I'm so happy that you guys care. Um, But it's funny when I mentioned to Warren, how does Thanksgiving impact the gambling world? You said, oh, it's already hit. You said that. I couldn't believe it. I thought, when I think of the Sharps, I think of people that are not going and sitting with their family and going past the Cranberry. I think they're people that are going, where's Uncle Tommy? Oh, he's down there at the Sahara locking in a few big bets for today. But you said even the big, sharp groups on Thanksgiving
1: week, they're betting Monday and Tuesday. I was blown away. Yeah. So the good thing about what I do and what the other guys who are really sharp syndicate guys do is, um, we set our own hours. We work whenever we want to work. We fire when we want to fire. And, uh, and for me, at least it involves very little sleep, but when when you've got a lot of, uh, family around and that type of thing, you do want to enjoy some of those events and activities. So, um, it's not to say that lines are not going to be moving on Thanksgiving, but when you got like Thanksgiving, when you got Christmas Hell, there's been times where certain betting groups, right, they'll tend to go on X day. And all of a sudden, they're firing the board two days in advance. And I, I get with my guys, and I'm saying, well, you know, they, they moved a little bit early. What are they doing? Oh, well, you know, one of the guys is getting married on Saturday wow. at the at this uh, resort in, in the islands, and so they're getting some stuff down before they head over there. Like, so- it is, it is a pure fact that we set our hours and we go when we want to go. And if I'm going to be eating my Thanksgiving meal with my family, I might be betting my games before then as opposed to an hour before the game. So um, absolutely, uh, you know, holidays and other events within families are going to impact that. And you're right. You might think that these guys are just like slaves to betting because the schedule yeah. is there and they have to bet at a certain time. But we bet when we want to bet, and and move when we want to move. Usually on a Monday, how much do the lines move? Um, there's been some movement, like this year, a little bit more than usual. But have, some, not not on not on Thanksgiving Monday. On a normal Monday, do the
0: lines usually stay a little bit? I would imagine they'd wait until the injuries come out.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of movement, but it's not nearly the to the extent of what we've seen. Right,
0: so, so let's see. I, I have a few teams here that you, you told me have already moved. Uh, Chargers, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Tennessee. Uh, in this Thanksgiving week, we are recording on Tuesday. What are the lines that you're already seeing some of the sharp groups push?
1: Oh, well, Tampa Bay is first and foremost. I mean, that line open three and a half, four and a half at some books. That's down to a pick them at most spots right now. Some spots are still Jacksonville minus one. But that's, so that uh,
0: started off at Jacksonville favored by three and a half, four, and it's already down to pick them? Yes. Wow. So, like, how do you read that? When you see that, do you go, either I missed the boat or now let me see if I can find value in Jacksonville?
1: No, I think that's a problem with a lot of the sharp guys that I work with. First of all, okay, let's just lay, make one thing perfectly clear. When guys are getting down on a Sunday night after the line comes out, because we're recording this on a Tuesday, obviously two days early, so a lot of these lines are moving either Sunday night into Monday morning. The limits are smaller, right? Mm. But it's perfect for these mid-range groups who only want to bet a couple of dimes on these games. So they're getting down $2,000 here, $2,000 there, and they're pretty small and, and they're You know, it doesn't really matter. They could bet it at a few spots, a few thousand dollars. And if they get, you know, small five figure exposure to a game, that's all they really care about. Right. For most larger betting groups, they're betting as often as they can. But they're really trying to get down a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. They don't want to move the number too much. But if they see a number that's going to be gone, like that was just wrong by the books, they'll get involved on it a little bit, too. So um, there was. I mean, some of these games have certainly moved by two, three points at times. And I don't view it as, oh, my God, I missed the boat completely here. There's nothing I can do. If I still like Tampa Bay, even at this number, I'm not going to let the earlier guys deter me from taking this. Um, but as you've seen this season, there there's certainly times I'm releasing games on Monday, too. If there's yeah. enough I want to get. I'm going on Monday. I'm not going to let the the day of the week necessarily stop me from taking a good number if I don't think it's going to be there on a Thursday when the limits get raised. Gotcha. Uh,
0: any other games that kind of jump out to you that think, <clears throat> excuse me, should be talked about in terms of early movement from the shark groups that caught your attention?
1: Well, Cleveland definitely was another one. Um, there was definite money on Cleveland. That's up to two at some spots. The Steelers named, actually, I see some two and a half. Um out there as well. At what did that start at? That was it. Actually opened at three for the Steelers um, at some spots and is down now, uh, down now to one and a half to two in favor of the Cleveland Browns mm. and. The Steelers did make a quarterback change. They announced that they're not starting Mason Rudolph. They're starting Duck Hodges, which I think is the appropriate move to make. But some people obviously feel like uh, he's probably not ready or they just like Cleveland more than what the odds maker did.
0: Yeah, that jumped a lot. And then I saw some movement in Green Bay. Uh, that one started at 7.5 for the Packers. It's now down to 6.5. I'm seeing in a few books. Uh, and then Tennessee, uh, the interesting, the fighting Ryan Tannehills started off as a 3.5-point dog for Indy, and now I see it at 2.5 in a lot of spots. So across the number.
1: Yeah, you got you lost the hook and then across the three. So that was a big, it doesn't sound like a lot, in that one, just a point and a half, but, uh, to, well, sorry, actually just a point. But it's actually two pretty pretty big things if you missed out on that few one. Otto. little,
0: few little glossary terms for people. A dime is a $1,000. A hook is when you get three and a half so that if you win by a field goal, you still cover. And then losing the three means that the line goes from your favorite by three and a half to your favorite by two and a half. So you lose that nice even three, which is a very popular number in which games end. And that was that was learning betting terms Um, before we get into EDSR, which I'm about to tell everybody fucking raked again. uh, I think the most important thing is for us to self-scout. I lost money on this Sunday. I'm sure that you lost some money on it this Sunday. Uh, My Instagram DMs were telling me that other people lost money. It's okay. It happens, but the Denver Buffalo over didn't hit. uh, And I know that a lot of people would love to come up to you in the middle of the street and go, hey, what the fuck, Warren? Why didn't that hit? So let's just do it now, and we'll talk to the 33% because we are very honest people.
1: Well, first of all, a few things. Um, Because I love, dude, your notes on that were incredible. Incredible. So let's back the truck up for one second here. Crack has said this a lot when people come up to him and ask him, give me one winner, give me this, give me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're betting a lot throughout the course of the season. And right now I'm hitting, I want to say close to 70% on totals, Psycho. which is, which is completely unsustainable, right? I mean, historically I'm at 60% over 13 years of giving these games out publicly, which is also unsustainable. So there's a lot of magic going on here, but I'm not going to hit 70%. And if you ask me to pick one game, right? There, there's a you're going to have a coin flip. A lot of different things can yeah. happen. This particular game uh, did not go nearly the way that I thought it would in a couple of uh, situations. We needed a couple of things to happen here. Number one, we needed the Buffalo Bills, and we're going to talk about them when we talk about the game against the Cowboys. Yep. We needed them to stick with their up-tempo style of offense, and guess what? For the first three quarters, they did. They stayed at a pretty high tempo offensively. What we also needed, it it typically takes two to tango when you're talking about going over the total, and we needed the Denver Broncos to have success running the football and not completely kill themselves when they passed it. And unfortunately, what happened is they did have success running the football, but their offense, I think, for the, through the first three quarters averaged 1.8 yards per pass attempt. And in hindsight, like the worst element of this was when you're looking at what the weapons are that the Denver Broncos have to throw the football to, number one, we know that the Buffalo Bills are good against tight ends. So Noah Fant, one of the biggest weapons, like the number two most targeted guy on the Denver Broncos, he's going to be minimized to some degree. And then they have a really good number one cover corner. Yeah, Tredavious. Tredavious, who's going to take away Cortland Sutton to some extent. And so what happened was both those things came true. And then the Denver Broncos really don't have much outside of that from a threat to burn you in the passing game. The thing that
0: was killer, too, was Brandon Allen's pick in the red zone. When that happened, I was like, "That's, that's, that's how you lose it. That's how you hit it under.
1: The crazy thing about this game is it seems like it came nowhere close, right? Nowhere close at all, and it really didn't. But guess what? When you have a total at 37, okay, let's pretend he doesn't throw that pick and they score a touchdown. We're sitting at 30 on the hmm. game because it landed. We're sitting at 30. All you need is another a defensive touchdown something at some point during this game, and you're at worst pushing. So, like, the margin for error of going under a game like this is so super small. But normally what you're expecting and you're hoping for in games like this, and I I wrote about in The Handicap, is you're expecting a really short field at some point, hopefully a few of those. You're hoping for uh, maybe a defensive score, and we got nothing. We got no help from any of that. So, yeah, um, I certainly don't – I will never – uh, you know, I don't think the 33% will fault me for this. I never apologize for a game that doesn't hit, uh, and I never uh, spend this length of time, um, like we're doing right here, patting myself on the back for. No, a- you do not. A- Over the point is we're just discussing this. But when you're given out, you know, and doing as well as we are on totals, um, I- it's just it's just another game. It happened to lose. I certainly don't advise people to be betting like. on this game and $20 on a few other games. And if one game is going to lose your weekend and cause you so much stress, you should not be betting. You're either betting too much and you need to figure out how to manage your bankroll, or you probably shouldn't be betting in the first place because losses are going to happen and certainly there's going to be many more to come on the rest of this season's podcast Yep. as well as, you know, the future.
0: I just think it's, it's the, the reason that I brought it up is I find there's a lot of shows that never address it. And for me, it's important to address. What did we not see? What didn't happen? Um, and it, cause you, it's, it's better to be thorough cause then you're not selling sure. snake oil. Uh, but what I say is when people say, what the fuck I go, yeah, bro, it sucked for me too. I lost. And then I say, I say, fuck. And then the name of the quarterback that lost. So I go, oh, fuck Brandon Allen. And they go, yeah, fuck Brandon Allen. I'm like, yeah, that was easy. Yeah. Because the true thing is, is that, you know, it's every week you're kind of looking and and betting the NFL is crazy. Uh, But the fact that you're 71% right now in totals is wild, almost as wild as the success of EDSR since we started charting this back in, I think, week six or seven. Um, So we introduced weighted EDSR last week. And when you combined how you did in traditional And in weighted, you went six and one straight up. The EDSR model did. Uh, The reason it's six and one and not of eight is because Tennessee over Jacksonville was in both models. And I, I'll tell you what, my little left go both EDSR model theory is going to be tested this week because I'm any team that shows up in both, I'm going yes uh, because I love one data point Uh, against the spread. It went six and one as well. Uh, The only thing interesting there is that the Cowboys did cover against the Patriots uh, while there was a loss um, in terms of the other spreads. The other thing is, too, in the weighted EDSR, two underdogs popped up last week, both covered. Raiders won outright. Cowboys uh, was able to cover that spread in the incredible decision. Excuse me, the Jets won outright. Cowboys were able to cover the spread because of the incredible Jason Garrett field goal down seven plus six. I mean, Warren, I've prayed for that my whole life. I can't believe we saw it.
1: I can't believe it. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt. When you're betting these games and you are are, um, hoping that a coach makes a boneheaded decision late, that's going to help your bet but hurt his football team, you know, usually that rarely, rarely happens. And in this, you, you certainly got that. And it's amazing to me the quotes and the comments that Jason Garrett came out with putting stuff on tape afterwards about, well, we don't really study in-game analytics during the game. And I'm thinking – When else would you study them after the game to find out what you did wrong? I mean, that's the point of studying in-game analytics is to look at them during the game. You know, look at what your probability is based upon a decision and figure out, is this in my uh, best interest to try to go for this or not? That's the whole point of them. It's not to look at them after the fact. So I don't know what he's talking about there. I'm surprised he put that on tape. And then Jerry Jones comes out and says, well— we like these num we, we like statistics but we've got so many other factors at play with weather and things of that nature that we really just have to go with the gut feel and i don't disagree with what jason garrett did in that situation and i'm sure you discussed this with the 33% already but in case you haven't i'll summarize one minor point here that's actually pretty important uh, forget the decision on fourth and seven the key is if you know with a mindset that we're going to go for it if we can't convert, then you're going to call plays differently on second and seven and third and seven so that you can have a really good shot on fourth and short to go for it because you know that you need this touchdown in order to have a chance at winning this game. The goal is not just to cover the spread. The goal is to win the game if you're Jason Garrett. And from that perspective and mindset, He's not talking to his play caller. His play caller is not communicating this to the quarterback. Like, all of them are on different pages. So that's why Dak Prescott's taking end zone shots here on second and seven, third and seven, thinking like, well, I'll just be kicking the field goal. This is my only chance to win the game. The reality: Jason Garrett came out and said, if it's fourth and short, one, two, or three, I'm going for it. Well, why aren't you telling Kellen Moore that so he can set up fourth and short at worst? And why aren't you telling Dak, hey, man, go ahead and run the ball on this third down if there's a lane, because if you don't get it on, if you don't get the first down, we'll just go for it on fourth down. Like none of that's being communicated at all. It's it's just a disaster.
0: Yeah, taking moonshots to Blake Jarwin in the back of the end zone is not a strategy. It's a save me. But you're right. If Dak turns it up and makes it a fourth and three, now we have a philosophy And that's how you beat a team like the Patriots. But, you know, as they say, Warren, good teams win, great teams cover. And in my mind, Jason Garrett is a great coach Uh because that man covers. So thanks, pal. Um, you are 25 and 6 overall right now. EDSR is 19, 12 and 1 against the spread. And as I mentioned, both underdogs covered. So you did say before, it is a blend of traditional and weighted. You are leaning a little bit more towards weighted. Uh, I know you are a little bit, but we still want to get the traditionals. So let's start with traditional. This is factoring in the entire season and schedules and all that stuff. Uh, your number one mismatch in EDSR is the Eagles over the Dolphins, and that makes sense with the size of that spread.
1: Yeah, it's it's obviously clearly being accounted for in the spread. Certainly everybody's looking away from the Eagles with all the problems that they've had. And, you know, you're an Eagles fan. You got to hope that there's some type of good luck in the water here that you could get some of these receivers back. I mean, I know Carson Wentz makes some boneheaded plays and puts the ball on the carpet or throws an interception when he shouldn't have, you know, and sometimes that's very frustrating, I'm sure, to the Eagles fans. It's also very difficult. And, and Dan Orlovsky put out a video showing us yep. like, when your receivers are not running the right routes, when they're not sitting down in the right spots, you've got guys that aren't experienced out there because your top three receivers aren't even playing in the football game. You're you're without Deshaun Jackson, who's been out a massive disappointment. I was super thrilled when they got him yeah. in the office season. I was tweeting up a storm about it. He's been gone all year except for what week one. And and I think that's it. Then you're without Alshon Jeffrey. You're without Nelson Aguilar. And some of these guys like you're hoping might be able to go. So you're still game planning a little bit that they could be there. And then all of a sudden they're scratches. And so you have to work with what you've got. It's it's a tough situation when you're without your wide receivers, and you're calling up guys from the practice squad who are playing a significant amount of time that game. Yeah, at the same point, uh, I'm watching
0: teams like the Steelers and the Niners get their wide receivers up to speed in two weeks, and I'm watching the Eagles have a second-round pick that barely knows how to run a slant, and we're in Week 12. So eventually you look at the wide receiver coach and you go, what are you doing because you're not develop- there's this notion that people forget that this isn't Madden all right you're not an 82 and then you play well and you become an 83 no like coaches matter like they teach you things this is you don't only get taught in high school that that's why there are some coaches that skyrocket in the profession, and there's some that kind of float around. you don't want to hire them yeah I, I'm kind of worried about that, okay, I need to stop getting angry. Number two in terms of traditional edsr matchups in nFC West battle, the Rams over the cardinals. what are you seeing here in, in this matchup with a Rams team that a lot of people are hurling question marks at
1: and and I am too um this this number obviously uh, when we were coming up with this did not account for what the Rams did um, in last night's game. But it's- yeah, let me just update really
0: quick. Uh, this game is in Arizona. It started at Rams favored by four and a half. It is now down at many spots at three.
1: Yeah, and so that's why, like, from the traditional method, um, that's looking at full season-long. So I think what we need to clarify, traditional is just like the season-long EDSR. We're going to go through the trending, which is just the last four weeks. So this is the team that will not show up in the trending model. This is looking at some of the games, uh, weighting them more heavily, where they were beaten up on some more inferior teams. It's interesting. Here you've got the Cardinals coming off of a bye um, and you know, the, certainly the early money is coming in on the Arizona Cardinals here and you could kind of see why taking them plus three at home where they do have a good home field advantage, uh, would be appealing, especially with Sean McVay coming off of a short week.
0: Um, where are you right now with Sean McVay? Where, where do you stand? I already kind of spoke about, it. I didn't ask you.
1: Yeah. Um, look. I knew what they needed to do to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and you're still you can't get over it. I know you can't. I, I can't. I can't get over the l- lack of foresight to make some of those moves, um, to trust in the seasons worth of information that we have to make those modifications to your offense to stop running so much eleven personnel when you don't have Cup out there. Like some of the he, he's a he's a. There's too many accolades to say how good he is at what he does. I completely respect everything, but there are certain things that need to be accounted for differently, factored in differently into his process moving forward if he wants to try to have this sustained level of success. And guess what? A lot of those things become more important when your roster doesn't have quite as much talent spread everywhere, when you're paying a quarterback and you're paying a running back such as they are, you can't fill up the 53, which is with as many good players. So guess what becomes more important? The analytics guys who are suggesting different things. So, um, yeah, I, I, the coolest thing about that game last night to me was Sean McVay was taking over the world last season running nonstop 11 personnel for the last couple of years making the super bowl everybody's talking about him they go hire all of his friends and anybody who worked for him before to become head coaches or coordinators because of you know his experience with Sean McVay's offense meanwhile in the midst of all of that John Harbaugh takes his offense gets rid of Joe Flacco midseason implements a run heavy style with not 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, we're not going to go speedy up tempo with all these little wide receivers. We're going to go heavy. We're going to get lots of tight ends in here. We're going to run the football a lot with a run-based quarterback doing everything that the rest of the NFL didn't want to do. It's just funny to me, the juxtaposition of those two things happening in the same year, all the praise going to Sean McVay John Harbaugh out here doing something completely different that most people around the league who are studying the trends are looking at him like, what's this guy doing? You know, what is this guy thinking here? What I like the most
0: is that Vegas took a bath on that game. Big time. Like how big, how big do they need the Rams to win that game?
1: Well, all of the public was smashing Baltimore. Like they knew the final score and so all of the sharp guys, all the syndicates, I mean, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of these guys. I see w- what different games, this guy, that guy, this group, that group, all these different. Everybody's lining up on the Rams plus three. Every single body is lining up on the Rams plus three. And there was absolutely no way that I was contemplating going. Like there wasn't even a chance that I was looking at doing that. Now, I didn't lay the three, three and a half with the Ravens. But there's absolutely no way that I could have gotten on the Rams in that spot. So I don't know what the win-loss was in terms of what the sportsbook did. I just know that the public certainly cleaned up and the sharp guys definitely lost. But again, this is what people need to understand. To, to the sharp guys in the groups, it's just one freaking game. It's not like they're loading up their whole bankroll on this one game just because the public's on the other side. They're betting thousands of games over the course of all yeah. the. Or it's in a year so it's one loss to them they move on they hate losing i hate losing you ain't losing everybody doesn't want to lose you want to yeah. win every you place but um they 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 definitely lost that game for sure
0: so the uh number one season-long edsr mismatch was eagles over dolphins number two was rams over cardinals numbers three and four also show up in trending. So I'm going to kind of say that now we'll get to, it. but number three is Chiefs over Raiders. Uh, and at last check here, I see Kansas city is favored by nine and a half. We always would like smaller uh, numbers, but that's okay. Number four season long EDSR mismatch is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Jacksonville Jaguars. That one started at Jacksonville favored by three and a half. I look now and I see it at one. Uh, some places have a pick them. Bovada actually has Tampa Bay favored by one, which is very interesting, but I want to, I want to kind of compare now to the trending EDSR number one for the last four weeks. EDSR mismatch is also the Eagles over the dolphins, which is interesting. It's the number one in traditional and in trending. Does that give you at all more confidence or do you see a number like nine and a half and a team with as many question marks as the Eagles and you go not
1: worth it? Well, I'm, I'm personally not going to lay the points here with the Eagles, but I find it very interesting, considering that the trending only is looking at games where Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback, and it's also looking at games where the Philadelphia Eagles have played terribly, where everybody's criticizing what they're doing. You know, but keep this in mind: look at the defenses that the Philadelphia Eagles have had to go up against over the last several weeks. You're talking about the Seattle Seahawks, the New England Patriots, uh, the the Chicago Bears are in there too. Buffalo like, Bills. Buffalo Bills, all these like good defenses that they're going up against. Now they get to go up against the Miami Dolphins. So it's certainly going to be a, a massive drop in, in defensive efficiency that they're going to face there. Um, so that's probably what the uh, the trending is picking up I'm going
0: to take a go Flyer here. Big Dallas-Goddard game. For me, you smash the Dolphins with heavy sets. Dallas is the guy.
1: Yeah, I think Dallas needs to get more attention there. Um, he definitely is a big factor. He, he's a he's a big X factor. Let's put it that way. He's a big X factor for this team from a matchup perspective. And I think he needs to become more of an in-game factor for them as well uh, because he's He's very talented, as you know.
0: I think so. Uh, number two trending EDSR, not in the traditional EDSR, is Chargers over Broncos. And as you mentioned before, there has already been a lot of line movement. This game started at the Chargers' favor by one. And apparently the Sharp books already knew what our trending EDSR is because now I'm seeing that's up to two and a half, even three. I see it at the win right now. So some early money's come on the Chargers, but they are the number two mismatch in EDSR over the Broncos this week.
1: Yeah. Off the buy, off of the bad loss to the, uh, Kansas city chiefs. It's, it's a tough defense that they're going up against. Denver's got a very good defense. Um, but you know, Denver's offense is bad. And I think we also have the return of Derwin James here. So, uh, it it should be, it should be a fascinating game, but, uh, it's a short favorite right now, uh, that you would have to lay if you like to go, uh, betting on the EDSR model.
0: It's interesting. It's also Denver coming off of a disappointing loss on the East Coast, coming back 425. Um, All right, so, okay. Uh, The third one for trending EDSR, we are putting an asterisk next to, and that's why we're doing five, because the third one is Jets over Bengals, but the asterisk is that Andy Dalton is back. So the trending model has been focusing on Ryan Finley, but now here comes Andy Dalton, uh, which, you know what? I know a lot of people are going to kill the Bengals. They looked at Ryan Finley, they got three games of sample size, and they said, you know what, he's not the guy, let's put back in Andy Dalton, let's try and win some games. I would wonder if A.J. Green comes back too, but I also think that this is an interesting indicator on how well the Jets have probably been doing in the recent EDSR models as well.
1: Yeah. And look, this is exactly what we predicted on your show this summer before the season even started, that the New York Jets are going to face a brutal schedule to yep. start year and a very easy schedule to close the year especially on uh with regard to opposing defenses so if you if you look at the strength of schedule metrics they faced just that they faced a brutally difficult schedule to start the year and now they're getting a lot of these defenses that they're able to have much much more success against and i'm happy for sam darnold because you can't imagine i mean you you know it, right? But like for people who are just like not in New York and don't study the NFL like we do, um, the the amount of vitriol and and hatred towards the Sam Donald ghost comments uh, was just egregiously horrendous, in my opinion. Um, everybody's saying this guy's a terrible quarterback; he can't do anything. Meanwhile, he's playing all these top five pass defenses. He's got injuries. He's got a mediocre offensive line to. If, to Offensive line, and now we're seeing how good he looks on some of these throws and his ball placement and 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 kind of his yep. in pocket mobility and his awareness. And so I'm just happy for Darnold. Like people think that I root against certain teams or I I, I hate these these uh, teams or players. I want everybody to uh, to optimize their play calling. I hate it. It hurts when you see a guy who. Is better than what he is, but he's in bad situations, so he's not performing up to that level. And then All the media and everybody else comes in just steamrolling hatred towards him. So It's just because
0: most people that discuss the NFL are reactionary and they blame everything on the quarterback, uh, and it's absolute nonsense. But that's why we take advantage. Uh, That's why I picked up Sam Darnold in Fantasy three weeks ago, and it's been great. And I've been playing him over Aaron Rodgers because you're supposed to look ahead, guys. And we did forecast this. This is a lot what happened to the Giants last year. It's why they had second-half optimism. Their first seven games were insane. We told you they'd start off 1-6. and six. They bounce back. And this is how coaches keep jobs, too. Like, Adam Gase went from, like, fire him three weeks ago to being like, this team, if they win out, could make the playoffs. And what great development. And Greg Williams has really turned the corner. It's, it's just very funny to me. Also, I don't know if you saw the story that after the game, Stan Darnold went out uh, and made out with a girl and got drunk. Um, inside, slightly humble brag. if I wasn't wearing sweatpants, I was going to be there. But, <laughs> but the, I'm, I'm happy I wasn't um, because I, the whole time I would have been like, don't look at them. Let them do whatever they want. I just New York is funny. Everybody thinks they could be anonymous. But as soon as it's like drinking on a Sunday, everyone's got their their camera phones out and texting TMZ and crap.
1: Well, yeah, I I, I see both. My fiance
0: sides. was very happy I wasn't there. I showed her the headline. She goes, weren't you going to go? And I was like,
1: Yeah. I would never do that ever. Yeah, I, I just me personally, like I see both sides. He needs to be able to do what he wants to do and, and get kicked back and have a beer um, at the same time, like the public display of affection with random girl that you're meeting. The there. problem
0: is I know exactly where they were and the private room has holes that the main room can see through. So you kind of think that you're private, but when you're drunk, you think you're private and you're really you're just in front of everybody.
1: What was yeah. that classic song during my day? We think we're alone now.
0: Ooh, during your day,
1: back in my day. Okay, uh, oh, number. F- just oh. about the jets. One, one more thing. Oh yeah, yeah. If you look at their schedule, okay, they have played. Uh, what is it? Top thirteen. Pass defenses. They've played six of them to start the season. Top 13 pass defenses. They went 0-6 in those games. 0-6 in, in those games against top 13 pass defenses. We're talking about Patriots twice, Bills, Eagles, Jaguars, and Browns. 0-6 against anybody else after the top 13. Okay. They beat the Cowboys. They beat the Dolphins. They beat the Giants. They beat the Redskins. So they're 4-0 and against teams outside the top 13. They're 0-6 against these, obviously, uber talent. How many top 13 teams are left on their schedule right now, Warren? Let's send the Jets to the playoffs. Unfortunately, they only have three more. They played the first uh, four. Now they've got the Raiders, the Bengals, and the Dolphins in consecutive weeks. Immediately after that, though, to close out the season, you've got the Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Buffalo Bills, all three of those are top 10 pass defenses.
0: Okay. Well, hey, man, I'm excited for these next three weeks of Sam Darnold. It also makes my preseason prediction of the Jets getting a wild card berth a little bit more respectable. I'm just going to ride this Ravens thing until the sun because it's my favorite prediction ever. Uh, The fourth team in the last four weeks that's been trending on EDSR, the biggest mismatch, was the number three on the season long, which is the Chiefs over the Raiders. Uh, This is currently a a nine-and-a-half-point game for the Chiefs. Trey Wingo put out the tweets, but these are statistics that I have been keeping track of, but I'm going to give all the credit here to Trey. Uh, Apparently, in temperatures under 40 at kickoff, Derek Carr is 0-4, averages 152 passing yards per game with a 51% completion percentage with a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 3-4 to and a QBR total of 9. A QBR total of nine. It's supposed to be in the 30s at Arrowhead. Now, props to Trey Wingo, man. I'm sure this all came from ESPN Stats and Info, but props to Trey. Derek Carr on the road. away Anywhere else, 14-25. and 25. At Arrowhead, 0-5. Everywhere else is passing yards per game, 285. At Arrowhead, 186. The completion percentage drops by 8%. The touchdown-interception ratio goes from 58 to 24 to 3 to 5, and his QBR is a 15. Derek Carr is an arrowhead, and the Chiefs are favored after a bye week by 9.5. Any other information? They're on traditional and trending. I know it's 9.5, but should I go to the window, Warren?
1: Well, let me just tell you this. The other, what do we know about Andy Reid? We know he's really good with extra time to prepare. True, super, super good. Okay, now I just looked back, looked up right now, what he's done against the Raiders since he's came to Kansas City in 2014, and he's nine and two, and seven and four against the spread. But well, both of those losses, the two losses. Were games on Thursdays? Mm, I remember one. Derek Carr
0: drove down, and they had six opportunities inside the five because of all those defensive pass interferences. Remember
1: that? And Amari Cooper ran over two hundred yards. Yes, that was Week Seven of the twenty seventeen yeah. season, where Good they game. scored ten points in the fourth quarter and uh, they upset the Chiefs by one point. So, if you remove those games, he's the the short week games, and give him like a regular rest week. He's undefeated against the Raiders, Um, and of course, average margin of victory there.
0: Yeah, um, sorry, because if I'm going to be honest, if it's around eight or nine, I'm going to bet this game. I don't care if it's nine and a half. There's too many good things.
1: Okay, so the average margin of victory is in the in the non-Thursday games is 15.25. Oh my god! And last lock it up. Last year they won. Uh, well, they won by seven in one game, but the Raiders scored seventeen in the fourth quarter to make that game a little bit closer. And they won thirty-five to three at um, the final game earlier this season. That was a the game they won twenty-eight to ten, and nobody scored a single point in this third or fourth quarter. So that was the game that they played earlier this year, where the Chiefs were on the road in Oakland and and smoked them by eighteen points.
0: Man. I know that it's statistically been proven that when teams play back-to-back road games, they perform a lot better in their second game. And, of course, there's the bounce back for the Raiders after being embarrassed by the Jets. But that's a lot of trends there, Warren. That's 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 like six or seven data points that I would just go off one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will tell you this. Uh, this line, you would have to use like a six-and-a-half-point teaser to bring it down to three because it's nine-and-a-half at some spots. Uh, But they certainly would work for a teaser like I would prefer getting it through the three because then it becomes much more valuable. If you got a nine and a half, go ahead and spend the extra few cents to use a seven point teaser. Bring this all the way down to two and a half. Um, That would be a good leg one of a a teaser. Um, I'm leery of laying the double digits in the NFL, but you're right. There's certainly a lot of in favor of them. You've got EDSR in favor of them. And last but not least, you've got the market, which is moving in that direction as well. With- I'm
0: also seeing that the, the line has dropped from 41 and a half to fi- uh, f- excuse me, 54.5 to 51, and I have to think that's Derek Carr related. Because it, this seems like a game where one team will be doing most of the scoring, if these trends, of course, play out.
1: Yeah, and that money on the under is very real. That is a very respected betting group, not me, but a different group that uh took the under and is is has hammered it all the way down to 51, 51 and a half.
0: You think there's any value in the fifty one? Little
1: little little chiefs under parlay action? Uh well there's 51 and a half. Um if you want to go with them, I would have to look at my model to see if I think that there's uh any remaining value there. But uh I love it. I can let you know later on that yeah
0: one. we'll do that off air.
1: Okay. And the fifth uh,
0: Last four weeks, EDSR is also one that was fourth for the traditional EDSR, which is Tampa Bay over Jacksonville. And underdog alert, we have underdog alert. That was the worst alert ever. Uh, Tampa Bay favored, but they are underdogs by one, and they're popping up in both models. And I usually hate betting on Tampa, especially after Jameis Winston throws two picks in the first quarter but still throws for 400 yards, and Mike Evans and and Chris Godwin keep doing it. But... If there's one team that's been getting their doors just blown off, it is this Jacksonville team. And I am not going to put this all on the feet of Nick Foles because really the defense has been getting destroyed. They lost 42-20 to the Ryan Tannehill and the Titans, 30, 33-13 to Jacoby Brissett coming back and Marlon Mack just going off. And then the game before that, the game before the bye, they lost 26-3 to the Texans, uh, and that was the last game for Gardner Minshew. So this team in the last three weeks has lost by a combined 140 – oh, excuse me, 90 – yeah, 101 to 36. So
1: I I just
0: – it's still Jameis. But where do you want to go on this one?
1: Well, a stat that I tweeted out that I found pretty fascinating here. Um, on first downs through the first three quarters, the Titans against the Jaguars, Tennessee's offense – averaged 27 yards per pass attempt and an 80% success rate when they threw the ball. When they ran the ball, 9.9 yards per carry and a 61% success rate. So, wow. physical, like, go on, King. Like, if you're running the ball for 10 yards a carry on first down, like, run it 95% of the time, right? Like, do your thing because you're stomping these guys. And that, that's actually one of the reasons I was talking to Crack, uh, about this game because this was a total that I did give out uh, to clients. I, we took the over, and oh, you it, did already. No, no, no. This is this is. I'm talking about last week's game. Oh the, yeah, the Titans against the Jaguars took the over there, and he, I think he was going to get his nail, his uh, a massage or something. And when he went in beforehand, the the it looked terrible. Like the halftime score was like seven to three or something like that, something really low. And he couldn't believe when he came back that the game had like sailed over the total and Tennessee scored 42 on their own. We took over 41. And I said, one of the big factors in this game, first of all, there was some bad luck, touchdown called off the board and other things in the first half. But one of the reasons why I liked the over was because Tennessee's been a very explosive offense with Ryan Tannehill and Jacksonville has been the worst defense in the NFL against explosive passes and rushes over the last month. And now they're playing Chris Godwin and Mike Evans? Now they're playing Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. But the point was that even when Tennessee, which I liked, I stuck them on all my contest cards, Tennessee minus three was the number. Uh, Ultimately, that game got bet to like five, I think, by kickoff. But when Tennessee has the lead, they're going to just keep building on it because you hand the ball off to your running back and boom, he's getting 10 yards. Yeah. So it's not the situation where you're up by 17 in the fourth quarter and you're just running and you can't do anything. I mean, they're going to continue to keep scoring. So um, that's definitely a factor here when you're talking about the Bucks if they're going to be able to run the ball and pass the ball. The key to beat Tampa, obviously, you can't turn the ball over. You have to move the ball through the air and have some success because they do have a pretty good run offense. So that's going to be minimizing um, Leonard Fournette. The other concern that I had about the Jaguars, now we're talking about uh, Tampa Bay and Jacksonville, is – I don't know if you remember this, but the first game for Nick Foles, when he came out and played um, after his injury, they ended up like running – Leonard Furnett had like six carries. They ran the ball nine times total. It was all on yes. Foles' show. And Doug Marone came back after that game. That's why you have to do your reading and said – We're going to pound it with Leonard. It was my mistake. It's all on me. Called too many passes. We're going to incorporate Leonard more into this game. Now, Leonard did have an okay game against the Titans, but you know they certainly were – ultimately needed to be more efficient in all aspects offensively. Here, though, this is not the team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that you want to be pounding your running back. Last week
0: uh, was the Vita Vea coming out party. It was like the first time where everybody went, Holy crap, maybe when he suffered that injury in training camp in his rookie year, it gave us a bad idea of what he could be since he was the number 1 inside defensive lineman taken in that draft and pairing him with and Sue, I mean, we've been talking about it since Week 3 or 4 when they played the Saints because we didn't think that Teddy Bridgewater could actually throw over the top. But last week was the Vitavea coming out party, and if the Jaguars try and pound it against them, they could be in for a very long day.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a stupid game plan. I don't know how... But it is the Jaguars, so I wouldn't put it past them, Warren. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how much they're focusing in on like our most optimal way to win this game. I will tell you, their offensive coordinator... John Loves D. Filippo, to throw. Loves to throw the football. So he would be happy throwing the football. It's just a matter of does Doug Marone influence him too much.
0: John DiFilippo, I'm not going to try and do a metaphor, needs to stop working for head coaches that are afraid to throw the ball. Like, he worked for Zimmer, and he worked for Marone. Like, two guys that grind it out, let's run the ball. And what's interesting is, you know, Marone was the offensive line coach for Sean Payton. You'd think he'd kind of learn something from that. But at his core, he's an offensive line coach. And we see with the Bill Callahans in the world, they like to run the ball. So,
1: it's interesting. 100%. I definitely think that John DiFilippo Has strengths and weaknesses, but he was there under Frank Reich. He was there working with Doug Peterson. He knows the style that helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Um, Even with a backup quarterback getting inserted as a starter, they were still going to be a balanced team, but lean towards the pass a little bit. Yes. Um, So we'll see what strategy they come out with here, but it definitely is a game where you have to, there's one way to attack the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that is correct. Correct. And we'll find out soon if they know what that is.
0: I feel like I'm going to watch the first drive and then live bet. If I see like three runs, I'm just going to pound the bucks.
1: Well, the hard part is like they might they might try to run early. Bill Belichick, like Bill Belichick, will do that too. He would run the ball early on a decent run defense on the first series, maybe to give the the illusion. To see what they're going to do, to see if we're going to have any success. But then, boom! Very quick in-game adjustment. He's not. He does not hesitate at all. This is going to be a Tom Brady forty-five pass attempt game here. I got so, a tip
0: for you. I got a tip for you. Yeah, Doug Marone, no Bill Belichick. You might be onto something. <laughs> all right, let's talk about our favorite games from the week. Thanksgiving. Uh, I really have Bills Cowboys circled. It is the best game. Is there, is there anything, though, that jumped out to you about Chicago, Detroit, or New Orleans, Atlanta that you're like, you know what, this is good information from the 33%. I know I didn't talk to you ahead of it, but because it's the first game and I'm going to be home with my family and probably wanting to put money, is there anything on Chicago, Detroit, or New Orleans, Atlanta?
1: Um. Not Nothing for me at this moment. You know, I'm going to, I've actually, what I do, uh, it's Tuesday, right? Yeah. So just for the 33% so they figure out like kind of my normal operating schedule is I'm first attacking the most optimal spots that I see the most edge, the most value. So I've circled some of those already. I'm digging into the support, trying to do as much reading as I can, waiting to get some injury information uh, where I need it. And then I'm going to look to fire on the games I see the most Advantage from where I think the odds maker is wrong. Um, Those two games did not really stand out to me from a totals perspective as being egregious. Um, So I've I've moved on to other things, but there is this Dallas Buffalo game. Is certainly a really interesting one to discuss.
0: Buffalo at Dallas, 4.30 Thanksgiving. Dallas started off as eight-point favorites. It is down to as low as 6.5. I'm seeing a lot of sevens across the board. The total in this one has pretty much stayed the same at 45. Uh, This is a Buffalo team coming off of another win in which they pull it out, but they don't really beat up a Broncos team at home. And Dallas coming off of a game in which their head coach before the game might be there are rumors. Hey, he might go to the Giants after the game. the The owner is saying we got out coached. What stands out to you for both sides here for this four four thirty Thanksgiving game?
1: Well, first of all, the thing that we kind of already discussed before, the pace of play was still extremely high for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, dive into okay. that. So I would expect that that pace of play will stay consistent for Buffalo in this game, especially when they are probably trailing at some point, right? They're a a six-and-a-half to seven-point underdog. Um, Through the first three quarters of that game, they operate— Buffalo, Denver. Buffalo, Denver. Buffalo operated at 25 seconds per snap, which is extremely high. The prior week, they were at 24.8. You know, most of the league is down at— 29 seconds per snap and it doesn't sound like oh well. you talking about you know and philip rivers is at about 41 right right so you have to about like four seconds but but that that makes a big difference because some of those plays you're actually going much faster and then you'll have plays where you are substituting guys in where you do decide to slow it down to get the optimal play and you're slapping it snapping it with three to four seconds left on the play clock so They are getting to the line quickly. Dayball is still sitting up in the press box. And this is where, like, uh, you know, credit to this show that's actually talking about this because I don't hear anybody else out there talking about the change that the Bills made. Remember how much praise the Atlanta Falcons got for modifying their defensive coaches and doing all this stuff? And I was hearing a lot of different people talk about it heading into the game last week. I haven't heard anybody talk about the fact that They move Brian Dayball up to the press box. Dayball is up in that press box. He sees the field better. They're getting to the line of scrimmage quicker. 24.8 seconds per snap in week 11. 24 seconds per snap. uh, Sorry, 25 seconds per snap in week 12. They're going to uh, Dallas. And this is the other big thing about this game that's going to be a big factor, in my opinion. And this is the other element nobody's talking about is the usage of 11 personnel. What is very important when we're staying at the line and calling in plays quickly, we want to make that defense tired. We don't have time to substitute guys in. So this is why Sean McVay spends a lot of his day in 11 personnel is because... Just stick your three wides out there, one tight end, one running back. You can call a lot of different plays out of those groupings, and we won't ever have to worry about, oh, we're in third and long, so we need to switch things up because we could just keep those same guys out there. So it's basically like we can use a first down, second down, third down, no matter the situation. This grouping should work. We never have to pull these And Buffalo wasn't running 11 like that all year? Buffalo was like 65%, 11%, below the NFL average. The last two games through quarters one to three, because fourth quarter they got leads, they're getting heavier personnel there. You, this is unbelievable. Nobody's talking about this, Adam. The last two games, they've got 97%, 11 personnel in the first three quarters of the games have Brian Dayball and the Buffalo Bills. 97%. They've only called three plays, three plays, where they were not in 11 personnel through the first three quarters. Astonishing how much they have adopted this new offensive philosophy. Now, last week, one of the reasons I kind of like Denver, I thought Denver might have a shot here, is because guess what Denver was really good at defending? 11 personnel. Well, guess what Dallas struggles mightily to defend? 11 personnel. Dallas is very bad at 11 personnel. On the season, they're allowing a 52% success rate to 11 personnel through the first three quarters of the games. They're allowing, I think, eight yards per pass attempt, almost five yards per rush attempt against 11 personnel. They're much better defending heavier packages. So and when
0: I factor in what you told me last week about Buffalo and how they haven't faced a lot of really good running teams, and now they're going on the road to Dallas to face a team that really at its core still wants to palliate the Rock and really against the Patriots probably should have kept going, uh, this sounds like an interesting little total venture that maybe we can partner in.
1: I think there might be some partnership opportunities <laughs> on the horizon. Um, look, there's not a... Okay, so we'll probably do something on this game, but let me just pull back the curtain a little bit to the 33% here. Nice, I appreciate that. There's a couple of different reasons you want to go on various different bets in general. Some of it could be your power ratings, your math models, things of that you find a numerical advantage. There's just the edge. Other games, there could be certain elements that the odds makers probably aren't factoring in. And in this particular case, I really don't think, because I searched, all right, I wanted to figure out before that game started, on Sunday morning, I searched the internet, I searched Twitter, to find out, is anybody talking about Brian Dable in the press box? And all I saw was a couple of stories that like one Buffalo newspaper wrote, like two weeks ago, well, the week right after it happened, on like a Monday or a Tuesday. Nobody had talked about it in recent days except for Buffalo Bills Mafia, you know, some of those like you guys that are root for the team. And they're like, keep Dayball up in the press box with his gray mustache because it's working. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. it's regular dude. It's right? his mustache. Not anybody from the national media. So the media has missed this. I bet odds makers haven't picked up on it yet. And if they're going at a much faster pace, and they're going to be calling a lot of 11 that Dallas struggles to defend, and if Dallas is going to be able to run the ball, last week, Dallas, I'm uh, sorry, the Denver Broncos actually had success running the football. Um, I'm pulling up the numbers right now because unfortunately I didn't have them at the tip of my tongue. But Denver Broncos, I mean, they're like I said, their quarterback right now was terrible. Denver had five yards per carry and a 59% success rate On the road in Buffalo, and guess what else that I hated about this total, but not enough to get off of it? The wind. It was like 18-mile-per-hour wind. Now we're in the dome. 25, and it wasn't enough for me to get off, but I definitely didn't like it. Think about what Buffalo's dealing with there from a defensive perspective. A team in the Denver Broncos who have no offense, they only want to run the football. You don't have to worry about defending the pass that much because Brain and Allen. We're going to stack the box, try to shut this run game down. It's windy. We don't care if Brain Allen tries to throw the ball down the field. He's not going to have success. And guess what? Denver still averaged five yards per carry. Still average a fifty-nine percent success rate. Now I think with da- with Buffalo coming to Dallas, having to defend the air and the ground, no weather conditions. <sighs> I think Dak's going to have a very balanced game here. As long as the O-line holds up and gives them a little bit of time, uh, they should have success doing a lot of different things against this Bills defense.
0: Game of the weekend is Sunday, 1 o'clock, Niners-Ravens. We're not going to dive as too deep. We're going a little heavy right now. Uh, But it is Niners at Ravens. Starting off Ravens, man, the line opened at 4.5 for the Ravens, and it is all the way up to 6 after that. Ingber also asked me a question during the week about – you know, the Niners defending mobile quarterbacks just after three weeks of Kyler and Russ kind of having success against that vaunted defense. And now it's Lamar. But six is a big number for a Super Bowl contender like the Niners to be an underdog. But with the Ravens at home, you know, they look unstoppable.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard. You know, this is another game where I could tell you probably the sharp guys who have been fading San Francisco for weeks in a row are probably going to get on the Jimmy G bandwagon in this game and let the public bet what they saw most recently, which is not Jimmy G totally annihilate Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. That was Sunday. Monday we saw a you know coronation of Lamar Jackson on Monday night. So the public certainly coming in on uh, the Baltimore Ravens here. I think one interesting thing in this game, we'll see how San Francisco is able to deal with it, but on the year, the Baltimore Ravens only ranked 25th in rushing efficiency defense. That's on the year. Now, I'll have to look at the four most recent trending defensive performances because I don't have that uh, updated through last night's game, but I have them fifth worst run defense over the last four weeks prior to this game wow. against the Last night. So um, th- that accounts for Marcus Peters in the secondary getting better, obviously, but that run defense is still problematic. And if San Francisco can run the ball here, uh, that's definitely going to help out. You know, they had success running. They've only played uh, three run defenses that rank bottom nine, I think. Um, actually, bottom 10. Let's do bottom 10. They beat the Cleveland Browns, sorry, they beat the uh, Cincinnati Bengals 41-17. to They crushed the Green Bay Packers last night, or two nights ago. And they uh, obviously took care of business, throttled the Carolina Panthers 51-13. to The Baltimore Ravens are in that category with their run defense. So it's going to be interesting um, what Kyle Shanahan has planned here to try to attack them. On the other side, you know, Baltimore, their offense is humming. They're trying to get out, build leads so that you can't run the ball, so that you're forced to pass into the teeth of that defense in the second half of games. Going to be fascinating to see how Baltimore is able to deal with this ferocious pass rush. Um, and they lose Matt Skura, their starting center last night. We'll see how big that ends up being. Exactly. One of the interesting things that I noted, though, about that game, why I thought another reason not to take the L.A. Rams here is, Aaron Donald, great against the run, stud, applies pressure really good. But when you're not throwing the football all that much as Baltimore does, his pass rush is muted to some extent. And if you're calling a lot of run plays to the edges, you're not running right at him anyways. So, you know, that's the thing that you wonder about here is when you're taking on the 49ers, whose strength is their pass rush and causing havoc. Can for an you contain
0: them to the inside and negate them with an outside running
1: game? That as well as what happens when you only throw the ball 17 times, right? right? If Baltimore's not dropping back and passing the ball as much as some of these other teams that pass rush is not going to hurt Baltimore as much as it would another opponent.
0: I'm just going to tell you the total for that game being 46 was the shocker for me. I know that these two defenses have been great, but it's been proven analytically and out there in the football field that great offenses will beat great defenses over and over again. And this is Kyle Shanahan, and it's this Ravens offense. And I I just thought there was going to be a five in front of that number. I did not think it would be 46.
1: Yeah, I think the. The trick is just how good that each of these teams has looked. And if you look at the scores that they've put up, it's it's basically if this game has a shot at going over, it's because of what those offenses are doing.
0: I mean, um, you just said 51 to 3, 46. Like it's not like they're beating teams 25 to 8.
1: I hear you. Look, I'm not I'm not gonna fight you on this one. I'm not gonna fight you on this one. Okay, um, that's another good sign for me. I'm I'm just gonna sit here and smile, my friend.
0: Um, Is there any notion, though, about the Niners' defense having issues with mobile quarterbacks?
1: Well, we saw them play three straight games against quarterbacks that could move around. They played the – Tyler uh, twice and Russell Wilson. Twice and Russell Wilson in a three-week span. And they allowed, what, 25-plus points in each of those games. Um, So – if a quarterback is not at his spot where you think he's going to be when you're playing this wide nine defensive technique where you're rushing the edge and trying to bend around and go after this guy who's sitting there, and all of a sudden he's out there, you are exposed. And what's the other thing that this wide nine defense struggles to deal with? It's the running game because of those lanes. We've talked about this previously, which is one of the reasons why they struggled against the Arizona Cardinals, because Arizona is a good rushing offense. Um, you take those wide splits of a lot, as a defensive front does, and this is why your San Francisco 49ers rank number two against the pass, but number 19 against the run. Um, and guess what else? A little secret, little nugget here. The 49ers defense, as great as they are, one of the worst teams in the NFL on third downs. hmm I know these numbers are going to change because of what happened with Aaron Rodgers, but heading into that game, one of the worst teams in the NFL on third downs, guess what Baltimore does? They don't give a crap about third downs because if they don't get it on third down, they're going on fourth down. Um, but Baltimore's offense is one of the best offenses on third downs to begin with. Yeah,
0: my only, my only concern now is there is almost guaranteed rain uh, looking for Sunday at 1 o'clock, so we'll see.
1: Rain, if it's not pouring down rain, is okay. If it's if it's pouring down rain, I'm gonna look at some of the forecasts while you tee up the next thing. Okay. But we want to look at wind and we want to see how heavy that rain might be.
0: Sunday night football, Patriots at Texans, uh Patriots, you know, just coasting towards another bye, handling teams that they need to at Houston. Started off favor by four and a half. It's already down to three. It is Bill O'Brien against Bill Belichick. It is Deshaun Watson, who has had some success in the past against New England. At the same point, New England owns Houston when it comes to vital games like the playoffs. How does this sit with you?
1: I want to see what New England's offense looks like out of the cold, in a dome, without weather to deal with. Right. It's been two
0: weeks of Eagles, Cowboys, and mush.
1: Yeah, and, and so I just want to see what this offense really is. This is a little bit of a litmus test for me. Um, there's no J.J. Watt to have to deal with. Uh, we saw what Baltimore just did against this Houston Texans uh, defense. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, New England obviously has its struggles. I personally have felt that New England's defense is not as good as what they were. I sat here on the yep, show yep, yep, yep. It so could Deshaun Watson have a little bit of success is getting game's gonna come down to can they protect Deshaun Watson or not? If they can't protect him, I thought they would have a better shot at protecting him against the Baltimore Ravens. They didn't. Can they protect him at home against his Patriots defense if they can? I think this is the first game that you're gonna have the availability of all their wide receivers when they've gone up against the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick uh, because there's been a number of games uh, where, where what's his name? Um, Fuller. Hopkins, Fuller has been out. So you get Fuller, you get Hopkins. You
0: got Stills, you got Aikens and Fells who are really emerging as reliable weapons at the tight end position. And then their running backs have overperformed this year.
1: Yeah. So I think this game's absolutely fascinating. Uh, Early money has certainly been betting. When you say a game is fascinating, those are the games I don't bet on because it means it's going to be fun to watch, but
0: it's really hard to figure it out.
1: Yeah. This is one of those games where I'll just tell you point blank, the model hasn't shown anything strong. So I'm looking at what are the edges in terms of mismatches or matchups. So I'm noting that we got Fuller for the first time. I'm noting that the pass rush of the uh, Houston Texans, their offensive line, has been poor in the past, but can they be a little bit better against Bill Belichick in this spot? What will the Patriots offense look like after dealing with these poor weather conditions and you know situations that are out of their control? They're just trying to go out and win games. They don't really care what the margin is at this point. They're more than happy to win ugly Um and and I think to some extent they were able to shut down that Dallas Cowboys offense last week on account of the weather conditions, um, which played perfectly for them, right? New England hasn't played any good offenses for most of the season. They've had right. the one of the easiest defensive schedules in the league and by here comes Deshaun Watson at home. And here comes Deshaun Watson at home, and you're not gonna have weather that's gonna hamper the passing offenses here. So I want to see – give him a little bit of protection. I want to see what Deshaun can do against this secondary.
0: Total is uh, 44.5 right now, and I'll just say that this is a good week for Tom to look good. 15th-ranked pass defense of the Houston Texans uh, with – I mean, Whitney Merciless was hobbled last game, and they really haven't had a pass rush. DJ Reader has been phenomenal, but – Internal pass rushers, I feel like a lot of times Belichick can get a hold of, especially when there's only one. Um, This, to me, feels like a very nice James White, Rex Burkhead underneath, let them romp. And then on the other side, it's let's watch the Patriots and Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung deal with Will Fuller and really see when we get on a fast track and you're, you're afraid of us beating you deep, what can happen. Because Will Fuller is the kind of guy that can strike fear into anybody. Like, I put him up there with the Mecole Hardmans and the Tyreek Hill. Not at that level, but right below those guys.
1: And the statistics back that up. Uh, the game results back that up. When he's out there, Deshaun oh. is uh, phenomenal. I and believe
0: when Will, when Will Fuller plays, Deshaun Watson is the best fantasy football player in the league.
1: Yeah, on a points-per-game basis, I would not doubt that at all. Um the other interesting thing here is the Houston Texans struggled to defend running backs out of the backfield. They ranked 26. It's as th- if I knew you were going to say that with James White and Rex Burkett. I almost knew it. So uh, just throwing out that nugget to back up your instincts, Mr. Lefko.
0: Yeah, I'm going to uh, go pick up Rex Burkhead in fantasy really quick. I like that guy.
1: Uh, second greatest White
0: running back in the NFL. All right, let's go to Monday Night Football, uh, and it is Vikings at Seahawks, and we are so far ahead of the game. We have no idea who's hurt. We do know that it's Kirk Cousins versus Russell Wilson in prime time. We do know that Kirk Cousins was on vacation, but the reason I am bringing it up, and I'm going to take the lead here, is we know one piece of information that is invaluable. The lead referee for Minnesota at Seattle is my man Cleet Blakeman? Why do I say he's my man? Because he's ref 10 games this year, <laughs> and all 10 have hit the under. That's right, 10 and 0. You heard it here first last week. He was refing Jets Raiders. Oh, baby. What did he do when Sam Darnold threw his first touchdown? Let's go to New York. It was a pick play, pull back, and no touchdown. Took a little bit of time off. It was great. He is also in his last 15. 12 and 3 to the underdog against the spread. Cleat Blakeman. There is nothing I like better than yelling at Cleat when there's an illegal hands to the face. Oh, surprise holding on a 50-yard touchdown. Cleat! Ooh. Getting a little bit of momentum? Not anymore. 10 yards back, second and 20. The line for this game started at Seattle. Favored by two and a half at home. It is at three. And that line is at Forty-nine. I don't care what information you could give me. Eight nuggets to the over. I'm betting the under with Cleet Blakeman.
1: Well, this is certainly one where you're going to roll with that trend. Yeah, until it fall, until the wheels fall off. Have to. Because it's not just some obscure, you know, well, at night, in night games with, uh, you know, tall grass and the team's not going to mow the grass too much, like this could happen. It's like a referee who calls holding penalties on the offense. I mean, because th- think about it, there's only a few penalties that that referee is actually responsible for calling. And I mean, frankly, we, we talk about, uh, Integrity? How could how could you really be? I don't want to ruin it for you, you know. But how could you really be undefeated? Every single one of your games goes under the total, and nobody's looking into what this guy's up to. I mean, I'm that's not fine. gonna. We're looking yeah. into it for profit, you, right? And 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 you don't care because you want to keep winning your bets, and yeah, I don't. That's want to fun. Red flag, uh, and and alert uh, anybody important about this, but. It seems it seems like this guy's involved in something. I don't know.
0: Seems- I love it. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm just going to make the bet. I don't know if I'm going to do the Minnesota wins in Seattle. I just I don't really want to be the guy that's betting on Kirk Cousins unless you have any information that really makes. I mean, look, man, Dalvin Cook can run all over that Seattle defense. He really could. Yeah, um, they I
1: can them- also. Better lately. They have Dallas. Uh sorry, Seattle's run defense has and I,
0: I just see Xavier Rhodes getting burned by DK Metcalf incessantly on, on Monday night.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Seattle comes back in this game. Um they they've beaten two Shit. of you know what
0: this is, Warren? This is Cleet Blakeman plus by team on the road. It's two of the trends combined.
1: Showing that offensive wheels could be falling off with the Vikings and 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 their performance factor. What, what was it? Was it last year or the year before that? This game, this exact game, happened in Seattle on prime time, and it was like nine to three or some nonsense like that. Well, remember that?
0: they also had the playoff game that was settled like twelve to ten on the missed
1: field goal by Blair Walsh. Now that was in Minnesota, right? Yes, when it was but it's still football. those two teams. It was it was those two teams. That one had like I think that was like ten degrees out. Yeah, footballs were cold, hard as a rock. It was difficult for anybody to move the ball there. Um, but no, these two teams have they they enter the game with a mentality that this is going to be a slugfest, a battle, a grinded out, and it's important to both of them to try to get this win. They're not going to want to make any mistakes. Early, they're going to want to settle in. Um, You know, the one spark that really Seattle had to get in order to win that game against the Philadelphia Eagles, because if you look, Seattle, I think, had only three offensive plays inside the Eagles' 30-yard line. They were really not driving the ball down deep. Um, They had to throw that flea flicker, and that got them on the board early. And the Rashad Penny touchdown. And then and then a breakaway run. And a lot of these are coming off of turnovers and mistakes that the Eagles yes. offense is making, giving Seattle a lot of opportunities. So apart from, you know, pulling out a random trick play, that offense did not do a lot in Philadelphia last week. They're they are at home this week, but they're playing another very good Minnesota defense.
0: Man. All right, Cleet Blakeman. I'll be rooting for him Monday night. Uh, Warren Sharp, Brian Westbrook, said that he he does not eat mac and cheese. He thinks it is disgusting. Uh, your face uh, is confused because it's confusing because Brian Westbrook has the worst taste in food.
1: I was curious if there is a Thanksgiving side dish that you do not partake in. Well, let me ask you this first because I'm, I am curious and I ask questions and I'm curious. Is it a texture thing to him? Texture.
0: He does not like a soupy cheese. He does not like cheese except nachos, which doesn't make sense, but it's Brian, so it's okay. That-
1: that literally is is completely – doesn't make sense. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I like mac and cheese, of course. Uh, is there a side I don't like? Not really. Um, I'll still steer clear of, like, the green bean casserole. Um, green bean order- casserole
0: is like red velvet cake to me where it looks and sounds really good. Like when I see the green beans with the crust on top, and I'm like, oh, and then always I'm like, it's still green beans.
1: Well – it, it it does not sound good to me because like green beans in general i'm not a, i'm not anti vegetable first of all this podcast is not anti vegetable i i like eating healthy and i like eating vegetables but if you're going to give me a smorgasbord of all sorts of different options for one meal I'm going to eat what I want to and I'm going to not eat any vegetables if that's why, if if I want to fill a limited space in my belly with the stuff I find most tantalizing. So, like, rule off the... the All right, green- let, on, let's break this
0: down. What percentage of your stomach do you want turkey on Thanksgiving?
1: Um, I would say... Uh, I don't know, 20%? Solid 20%
0: base. You know, early down success rate, you go turkey. You come back, stuffing is what percentage? Seven, eight, or are you a 10? I would say 10. Wow. Yeah, early down stuffing rate, very high. We're at 30% on just turkey and stuffing. It's a good base. That's the 21 personnel of Thanksgiving.
1: Well, and and what I really like the most that I only get once a year, uh, my family has Croatian roots, um, and there is a dish called strukla, which is like this, uh, cut it up in squares, and it's been passed down in my family. So my mom makes it, and is we're it eating. like a gnocchi type of situation? Uh, it's 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 like a squ- it's a square, and it's got like egg um, and it's like know, a dough, it it's like a noodle. It. Doughy type thing, but you pick it up and eat it with your hands, it's a little bit thick. Um, and I'll wolf down like five or six of those. Wow, Uh,
0: so you're probably at a 20% Croatian delicacy there,
1: yeah. And then we also, um, I mean, what else? What else do you want to throw out the table? I'll eat a little bit of sweet potato casserole, okay? Okay, I actually prefer that. Um, I'll eat like of my potato ingestion, Yeah, yeah. It'll be about a 65 sweet potato to 35 mashed, mashed. Potato gravy. Um, I also, I'm the one who's taken over responsibilities for the turkey, and I deep fry it in peanut oil. So that's why, I, that's why my turkey's higher. Like some people probably don't know. What's the eat
0: fry it. temperature needed for peanut oil?
1: I do it the easy way. When that, when that orange light comes on, it tells me it's okay. hit, and I can dunk it in. So I don't, I don't remember what it is. I, I saw you as a thermometer guy. I really did. It's it's built into the unit, so I don't have to. I don't have to think. They make it idiot-proof. So.
0: Wow, and there is how Warren Sharp displaces percentage-wise his Thanksgiving meal. I, I am like Jason Garrett. I don't know what happened, but I'll figure it out later. Warren, you are the man. Uh, keep kicking ass. Glad you feel better. Any final messages for the three
1: three percent? and family. Do not do not like. Don't take this time for granted. That's all I can say. Beautiful. Food, family, fun.
0: The Four Fs, brought to you by Warren Sharp. Warren, you're the man. Ingber, thanks for everything. Homies out there, have a great Thanksgiving, 33%. Enjoy it. Uh, And we'll see you next week. Enjoy the games. It's going to be awesome. Peace.